0: welcome to the level up with katie b podcast if you've ever wished you could get a glimpse inside the minds and lives of women who are masters at creating abundant and fulfilling lives and you're ready to learn the secrets behind unlocking that in your own life you're in the right place Each episode, I and a series of guests uncover the secrets behind creating the life you can't stop fantasizing about. I'm Katie B, human design coach, airline pilot, CEO, and crazy cat lady. And I am so happy to have you here. Well, guys, welcome to the Manifestation Series. Holy smokes, I have been talking about it a bit on socials. I'm sure I've been talking about it on the podcast. Uh, But yeah, so here we are launching into this six episode series, all designed to bust common manifestation myths and empower you to embrace your own unique manifestation process, wait for it, without having to pop a blood vessel trying to activate your pineal gland. Uh, If you know, you know, right? (laughs) In this kickoff episode... You'll discover the real secret to stepping into your power and becoming a conscious manifester. And honestly, this is game-changing information that, in my opinion, will change the face of how you manifest forever. The series is for you if you've ever beaten yourself up for thinking negative thoughts because of hmm, the law of attraction. Can't think negative thoughts, right? Then we attract negative shit into our lives. I'm claiming BS on that. It's also for you if you've ever been terrified to say out loud words like, when I manifest my dream car. Because you were told that you should speak as if you already have the thing you're trying to manifest. It's also for you if you've spent hours meditating on the thing that you're trying to manifest, painfully focusing every inch of your being on what it is that you desire, what it is that you want to call into your life. How has that worked out for you? (laughs) It might be, you know, I'm not saying that these things don't work, but they are not the easiest way to become a conscious and badass manifester. And that's why I wanted to create this series, because I feel super strongly about those things. In the episodes that follow, you're going to hear real life manifestation success stories from some incredibly talented women who have one common thread but completely unique manifestation processes. I want you to really understand that there is no one size fits all when it comes to becoming a conscious creator. You don't mystically become a badass at manifesting overnight, but We are actually all constantly shifting in and out of flow, in and out of magnetism. It's a fluid journey. It's not a black and white process. And that's why I think this series is so important. If you know someone who loves all things manifestation or that you know could really benefit from having practical tips and advice to make their life easier, why not share this episode with them? The more people that hear these stories, the better, because we all deserve to be empowered with knowledge to create our most aligned and fulfilling life, not just at all, but with ease and flow. All right, let's go. So I want to start by giving you some insight into why I'm qualified to support you on this journey. The truth is pretty simple. I have been down many manifestation rabbit holes, from reading The Secret when I was 13 years old, to soaking up Abraham Hicks' wisdom like a hungry info fiend, and down all the way down to damn near popping a blood vessel, trying to activate my pineal gland with Dr. Joe Dispenza. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like literally months of trying to activate my pineal gland, which, you know, I'm sure on some level I did, but it was painful. My conscious manifestation journey started when I first read The Secret and that was when I was about 13, I think, and it's ongoing today. That's 24 years of experimenting and building my own evidence about what works for me and what doesn't. When I started my coaching business, my awareness of what it really takes to create the most fulfilling life skyrocketed. For the first time, I actually was seeing how powerful the unconscious mind is and how our unconscious drives patterns of behavior and how that affects what we attract into our life. So that was a real eye opener for me. But honestly, even before then, I knew that I was creating, right? I knew I've always been great at manifesting. I just wasn't conscious of what the process looked like. The most illuminating thing I've learned through that journey to understanding manifestation and also through supporting other women through their manifestation process in life and business is that we make it way more complicated than it actually is. I think, honestly, the reason for this is that, well, part of the reason for this is that there's a lot of conflicting advice, a lot of dogmatic advice, and a lot of confusion about how to actually turn your idea into something tangible, you know? The, and I have noticed there are so many rules, right? I'm going to tell you, you can breathe a sigh of relief because I don't believe in rules when it comes to manifestation. And I'm going to help you understand that more later on in the episode. So I'm qualified to guide and share these stories because I've proved so many of the common manifestation myths to be. Bullshit, to be honest. And I've had incredible success creating in my life and also supporting my coaching clients to do the same. On top of that, my experience as a human design coach and reader has provided me with some really beautiful and incredible insights into what it actually takes to become magnetic. Because human design is all about how you are energetically designed to interact with the world around you. And no matter what way you slice it, manifestation is all about energetics, baby. So human design is literally your roadmap to becoming a master at manifestation. Just like your human design is unique to you, so is your manifestation process. And this is one of the most important things I would love for you to embrace over the course of this series is there is not one size fits all, right? I know I've already said it. (laughs) I'm going to say it a few times more. Uh, There is not a one-size-fits-all deal and that's one reason that understanding your human design is so vital if one of your goals is to become magnetic and manifest a life and business that's juicy AF. Okay, so I wanted to share with you the most incredible manifestation story of my life. It's kind of, I'm giving you a very uh, raw and vulnerable insight into a really Large period of my life. Like, a, you know, this process started when I was a teenager and I guess is still really unfolding. But yeah, you're going to get a peek into the mind of teenage Katie and also some experiences that I had through, you know, growing up and developing as an adult. So it is a really incredible manifestation story and I'm so grateful for it. You'll understand why as I share the story, but I think it's relevant because it highlights this vital piece of the puzzle. As I'm telling you the story, I invite you to try and guess what this irreplaceable piece of the manifestation puzzle is. So then when we get to the end of my manifestation story, I've got some tools for you to apply today to actually start shifting the needle for yourself. So you can take what I've learned and start using it today. So buckle in. So this manifestation story is about how I manifested my incredible husband, Clay. And yes, it starts when I was in primary school. I was the cutest little tomboy you ever did see complete with Beatles replica haircut. (laughs) A hundred percent, it looked like someone had popped a bowl over my head and trimmed around the side, but that's beside the point. Despite being very keen on one of the boys in my class for practically my entire primary school career, I never really had a boyfriend. I knew what I wanted though. Like I knew that I wanted to feel loved and I wanted to have like someone in my life, you know? I had a very clear vision, which included someone kind, funny, and easy to get along with. And Clay actually reminded me, we were talking about it just before. He was like, You also wrote, because I wrote this on a piece of paper when I was young. Um, he said, You also wrote that they had to make good cups of tea. I'm like, honestly, what the actual F? I didn't even drink cups of tea. <laughs> anyway, so obviously my standards were very high. <laughs> I knew these things were important and from a young age. So I yeah, I wrote it on a piece of paper. I don't know what compelled me to write it on a piece of paper. I guess to be honest, I uh, as I've got older, I've realized like I've always kind of identified as a witch, but I haven't really ever labeled it that way until, you know, I've allowed myself to in the last few years. And maybe that was part of it, hey. Fast forward to high school, and I was still more interested in sport and music than I was in much else. But again, I never really lost the desire to have a boyfriend. I had a few guys that I dated, if you can call it that. I was pretty young, right? Like 14, 15. And they were kind, mostly, but they didn't really tick all the boxes. So by the time I was 15, my wish for what I wanted in a partner had extended to include... Tall, dark, and handsome. Which, reflecting on this, is pretty hilarious because none of my boyfriends up until then, or in fact for years after, were tall, dark, mm, or what you would conventionally call handsome. Anyway, one night I was feeling particularly heartbroken after some shenanigans with a boy at a party. And as someone who has always kept a journal, I wrote another list of what I hope to find in a man. And this time the list was pretty similar to one I'd written when I was at primary school, but more specific with the tall, dark and handsome. And also I elaborated on what it meant to be kind and funny and also extended it to include that they must be smart. And I wrote a few things about how I wanted to feel in a relationship. I wanted to feel valued. I wanted to feel cozy. Like there was a lot of like... Um, safe sort of words that I wrote in this journal. So some of you will already know the story of how I dropped out of high school, became a ski instructor and spent almost five years running amok, doing back-to-back winters, traveling between New Zealand and Canada. And over that time, I left a trail of marginal and not very inspiring or memorable romances behind me. Now, I think it's really important to just say here, after I wrote those two lists, I did not think about them ever again, you know, like maybe once or twice, but it wasn't like I was sitting down each night, meditating on it, envisioning the perfect person. No, I wrote them down when I was really emotional and and knew that I deserved better. So yeah, it might sound crazy, but when I look back, I was more focused on having adventures and having fun than I was on finding a boyfriend. And yeah, I did fall in love once or twice. And one particular relationship I had as I moved into my mid-twenties was actually to become a defining part of my manifestation process. But obviously, I didn't know that at the time. So this guy was cute. He was kind. He was smart. But hilariously, many of my friends and even my family were surprised that we were together. We weren't a particularly good match. He was quite serious and... Really on reflection I can see that he had this insidious kind of low-key way of suffocating me. Small things he would say to me and how he would treat me around his friends or my friends for that matter. I always felt like I was too much, that I needed to behave and I felt that my natural bubbly and mischievous personality was just not okay. Like I was I was fundamentally flawed. I always felt a little squashed down and like I needed to get back into a box, <laughs> but this wasn't conscious, right? It wasn't conscious until a good year into the relationship. And even then at the time, I never would have been able to explain those things to you. Eventually I realized this was not a good relationship for me. And then I spent quite a long time trying to break up with him. It was on my mind all the time, but I found it so hard to actually end that relationship I did do it a few times, but then we would end up back together because I didn't want to be alone. I felt the gap of having a boyfriend and I missed I missed him even though I wasn't really happy with him. So we did that dance for a while until eventually we broke up because I met someone, had a really short but fun time, and that was enough to make me realize, that like, okay, this this other relationship just isn't for me. I deserve better. I deserve to have fun. So I called it quits for good uh, with old spirit squasher. And after that, I pretty much swore off men for good. I mean, I was totally down for having fun, but I had zero interest in ever being in a relationship again, because at that point I had just associated any sort of romantic relationship with me feeling suffocated, feeling like I had to be something that I wasn't. And that just was icky. Right. So. Here I am at 24, happily single and pretty much ruled out men for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh. Okay, so this time coincided with the beginning of my career as a commercial pilot and, and also an incredibly painful failure that I had in my career. So... As a pilot in New Zealand, it's pretty common that once you get your CPL, your commercial pilot's license, you set your eyes firmly on a role with Air New Zealand. I think it's fair to say that most Kiwi pilots who want to be airline pilots get tunnel vision and probably rose-colored glasses as well for Air New Zealand, and I was absolutely no different. When my turn to have my interview came up, I studied hard, I put all my blood, sweat and tears into it. And I failed miserably. <laughs> when I got the call, I recall the moment so clearly. Actually, my uncle and my cousin were at our house. It was just, I can see it. I can almost feel the pain of that phone call. So I got the phone call and I was shattered. I felt hopeless, like everything that I'd been working towards was a waste. And I like genuinely felt worthless. I felt like I was not capable of anything that I had, especially because I'd worked so hard for it and still wasn't good enough. So in New Zealand basically said, try again in 12 months. And once I'd kind of recovered from the shock and the heartbreak, I guess, I pulled my shit together. I dusted myself off. I felt extremely resentful that... That had all happened. Like I was not all high vibe about this in any (laughs) stretch of the imagination, but there was no way in hell I was going to sit around twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the chance to maybe have another interview with Air New Zealand in 12 months time. (sighs) In a weird twist of fate, serendipity, or, you know, divine universal alignment, at the same time, one of my best friends had moved to Perth. And she had a friend in general aviation over here. Her and her husband had a friend in general aviation over here. He was doing similar work to what I'd been doing in New Zealand flying and was earning significantly more money than me. And honestly, I had one conversation with my friend and her partner And that was enough for me to decide, that's it, I'm going to WA. I'm going to Western Australia in the pursuit of more money and better flying experiences. Plus, as someone who's always been addicted to adventure and travel, it just kind of felt like a no-brainer. I was just like, yeah, fuck it, why wouldn't I go on this fun adventure? I'd never been to WA, but I'd traveled a lot to places that I'd never been to before, so that was not really a problem for me. But despite having a lot of experience in general aviation in New Zealand, I was still full of self-doubt, right? I was like simultaneously scared and excited AF to leave the familiar comfort of aviation in New Zealand and head to Australia to continue my career. So yeah, like I said, freedom and adventure are two of my core values and the excitement for something new and the adventure outweighed the fear. So I, I just started doing it. I just started, I started talking about it to be honest. I just told people like, I'm going to Western Australia. I don't know how I'm going to manage that. I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but I'm going. So I'd planned to just come over and travel and look for a job once I got here, but I also started sending my um, CV out to different aviation companies while I was getting ready to leave New Zealand, and I was actually offered a role before I'd even had a chance to get my New Zealand pilot's license transferred to Australia license, so. After a very short phone interview, this chap in a small town called Geraldton, a few hours north of Perth, offered me a job and basically said, get here as quick as you can. So (laughs) I googled where Geraldton was because I had no freaking idea, packed my shit up and I head to WA with all my belongings and two backpacks. When I got to Geraldton, the first few months were pretty rough. I got sick, like quite physically sick. I failed a reasonably big exam. And one of the pilots that was already working at the company that I started working with had taken an unreasonable dislike to me and had made it his business to make my life pretty shit. So it wasn't off to a great start. But Most of the crew there were awesome, and there were two pilots in particular I got along with really well. We became really good friends, and the three of us hung out a lot. One of those pilots' names was Clay. I won't bore you with all the details, but when we first started dating, if you can call it that... I was still extremely against being in a relationship. I was fiercely protective of my own time, my own desires, and wanting to live a life that excited me and not complied with anyone else's bullshit rules. So I wanted a fun time, not a long time. And I told him that so many times. He was super chill about it, which was probably part of the reason I didn't mind spending more time with him, but we did start spending more and more time together and eventually he got a job in Perth. So this is quite a short time frame, though, hey, like probably we only got to know each other over a space of like maybe six months max before he moved down to Perth. And I honestly, I just thought that would be the end of it, but we continued to date and eventually I gave into the fact that we were in a relationship. Uh, I still had no expectations. I didn't care how it turned out. I just knew that we had fun together and he was so kind. He had actually been really supportive of me before he even knew me. Like I think we'd known each other for two weeks and I walked in on him basically sticking up for me with this other guy uh, who had been making my life miserable at that company. Uh, Clay, I walked in on him just like, really sticking up for me he hadn't he didn't even know who the fuck I was like he didn't really know me at all but that's probably the first time that I was like oh man this guy's awesome like just so kind so kind to stick up for someone like that when you don't even know them he's also super super smart and interestingly and only on reflection you know years later did I realize this He is the first tall, dark, and handsome bloke I've ever dated in my entire life. (laughs) But I never once thought about that list or those lists that I wrote about for, you know, all those years ago. I never once thought about them, especially not when I met Clay, because I was like, never was I going to get married. Never was I going to get into a long-term relationship again. So we got engaged three years after we started dating. I didn't really care if we got married and I had no expectation of it and I, it was never something that I aspired to. But when Clay proposed to me, one of the first things I said to him was, you know this could all turn to shit, right? statistically speaking, if we get married, there's a, probably about a 50% chance we're going to get divorced. And we had some really like open, honest discussions about this, which again, was like quite important to me because I don't know, I think I've, I value honesty and I value open communication. And it's now that I can see that consciously. I, it was just something that I followed back then. Anyway, we've been married seven years or actually, I think it might be eight. I actually am really bad at remembering our anniversary, but I can say with 100% certainty hand on my heart, we are meant to be together. We're not perfect by any stretch of their imagination, but we have grown and evolved both individually and as a couple, and we're both committed to living a life full of adventure and prioritizing experiences over material things. But more than anything, we have so much respect for each other, and every day I feel so grateful to have my beautiful, tall, dark, handsome, smart, funny, and kind husband in my life. I can't believe that I manifested him and we would. I was telling him that I was going to talk about it in the podcast and he was just like so sweet about it because he gets it right. He, he understands what it means for us to have found each other. It's pretty huge, hey? So grateful. Anyway, so obviously this is the most epic manifestation story ever. Not only did I find my soulmate but we are creating a beautiful life together like that manifestation story from my perspective is not over because we continue to create a life and now we just get to do it together which is just so amazing but here's what I wanted to share with you is behind the scenes when all this was happening what actually unfolded for Clay and I to have been able to meet there are some really flipping crazy sliding doors moments that I didn't mention so first of all, my best friend had to move to Perth. My best friend is one of the most loving, incredible humans in the world. And she really values friendships and family. And to move away from her family in New Zealand was freaking huge for her. So the fact that she was even here and even we even had that bloody conversation for me to come to WA, that to me still blows my mind. Second, I had to fuck up that Air New Zealand interview. Don't forget how badly I wanted that, but that was a catalyst for me reconnecting with what was really important to me, freedom, adventure, and choosing that over persisting with trying to force a career in New Zealand. But even before all that happened, the specific aircraft type and flying experience that I had gained in New Zealand had meant that when I was looking for work in Western Australia, The reason that I got that job in Geraldton was because I had exactly the experience they were looking for, down to the aircraft type and the instructor rating. I was, in their eyes, I was perfect for this job, but I had no idea, right? Like when I was doing all that flying in New Zealand, I was just following my opportunities, following what excited me. And, you know, had I not done that, then I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been as qualified for the job in Geraldton. I also believe that that shitty relationship that I had with that ex back in New Zealand was instrumental in me getting very clear about how I wanted to feel in a relationship, how I didn't want to feel in a relationship. And that was part of that, was a big stepping stone for me, really stepping into my own sense of self worth as well. So, here's some other crazy sliding doors moments. Clay had started learning to fly when he first left high school. So, quite a while before me, because I was, I'd done all that time ski instructing, right? So he started learning to fly, I think when he was 18 and I was 22. So already we shouldn't have been in the same contingent of pilots. We were so, our start dates were so far apart. He should have been well and truly on his way in his airline career. But what happened was after a few years flying, he decided to have a break because it was all too serious. He was still young. He was losing the love and excitement for it. And he just wanted to do something a little less stressful. So he went and worked at a bank for a few years and actually working at the bank was what gave him the realization that he had to be a pilot. He had to be a pilot because he missed it so much and he loved the industry. So those years off are why he's you know, still a pilot today. But on top of that, he also applied for and was successful in getting an international airline job in another country, which despite being an incredible opportunity, he says he, he turned it down, right? So he was successful in a really hard interview process because airline interviews are just <laughs> torturous, to be quite honest. So he went, put himself through all that pain for this airline job and then he got it and he said, no, he turned it down. And he says that it's because he felt too young to be stuck in a big city, living in an apartment and working long haul. But those jobs that he said no to meant he had to persist and somewhat suffer through some pretty average flying jobs in Australia. He literally turned down what was essentially his dream job because he just didn't feel ready, right? He didn't want to be tied down like that. But that's what led him to the job in Geraldton where we first met and started dating. So there's actually so many points along both Clay and I's journey that we could have missed each other, but we didn't. And that's why, part of the reason why, I truly believe that he's my soulmate and that the universe has been conspiring for both of us to find each other our entire lives. Here's the most vital part of this manifestation story that I would love for you to take away. At no point in this journey was I hoping or praying or obsessing over the love of my life dropping into my orbit. I wasn't, I didn't even remember that I'd written those things on a piece of paper. I had completely forgotten about them until years after Clay and I were married. And actually just recently when I was back in New Zealand, we were unpacking some of my shit at my parents' house and we found that letter and Clay was just like in stitches reading it. Um, But at no point was I obsessed with the power of positive thinking. I was just being my human self, following what lights me up. I wasn't trying to control my thoughts and (laughs) I definitely was not trying to activate my pineal gland. What I was doing was following my excitement focusing on having fun experiences and developing my career, which was important to me, right? Like my aviation career has always been something that's lit me up. So even though it's challenging AF, I was following that. I was following what I knew was important to me. What I can't explain to other people how aviation makes me feel because sometimes it doesn't make sense. But I was just showing up messily. I was fucking shit up. Like I had some really shitty relationships. I failed a lot along that journey but I was living my life firmly rooted in each and every moment just knowing like getting myself back up and dusting myself off and putting one foot in front of the other all to just follow my excitement and, and try and be happy wherever I was. I wasn't rigid but I did actively say yes to things that felt good to me and no to things that didn't. So Despite not wanting a relationship, I let the fun of being with Clay develop into something deeper. Another really important thing that I want you to know is that I was not 100% in a high state of self worth throughout this process. I wasn't 100% high vibe. I know I've said that already, but there was no perfection, none whatsoever. When I reverse engineer this entire process, which, by the way, if you're wondering, from the very first time I wrote down that, hopes for what I wanted in a partner to when Clay and I first met was about 12 years when I reverse engineer that process I can see clearly there are three things that made this one of the most easeful really manifestation processes of my life easeful does not mean quick I'm not saying that you can't manifest things quickly but I just want to make that clear as well so these three things number 1 i was focused on pursuing experiences and opportunities that felt good to me i let i literally let desire be my north star i let my wants guide me and i've said it before on the podcast but i have been called selfish multiple times in my life and i used to feel guilty about it and now i've realized it's one of my biggest superpowers is because That whole process of allowing my hopes, my dreams, my desires be my North Star is what meant that I could move through the hard times, pick myself up and dust myself off, knowing that there was something more for me, knowing that there was adventures ahead. Number two, I had no rigid vision for how it would unfold or even what it would look like in the end. And although I knew how I wanted to feel in a relationship in the future, I didn't have any expectations for exactly what that would look like. So just following joy, desire and excitement had a huge role to play in how that process unfolded. By the way, you might find this interesting. I told my grandma, because my grandma was pretty gussed when I moved to Australia. She said to me, I have a feeling you're not coming home. And I said to her, that's not going to happen. I don't really like Australian boys, so I'm not going to settle down. So I told her, I don't like Australian men. And the reason for that was that I'd had a bad experience one year when I was living in Canada. But that's a whole nother story. And I also told her, I will never date a pilot. So for those of you that don't know my husband... Clay is an Australian, and he's also a pilot. (laughs) Imagine if I had have talked myself into some bullshit rigid rules that were based on, you know, old stories and old unfoldings in my life. Then number three, and I think this is probably the most important, I was willing to say no. Not just say no, I was willing to suffer through hurt and hard life lessons in order to say no. Now, I don't want you to think that, That means that suffer equals success and manifestation. But the fact that I was willing to go through heartache and upset to like pick myself up and dust myself off and then be in continual pursuit of things that were in alignment for me by saying no to relationships that were just average, um, saying no to waiting for Air New Zealand to maybe, please, sir, give me some more. Um, (laughs) to say no to limiting myself based on old stories that I'd outgrown. Every time I said no to something, it made space in my life and in my energetic body to hold all the things that were actually in alignment for me. So, as I've spent the last 3 years learning human design and really deeply experimenting with my own human design, this ability to deflect things that are not supportive of me living the life I envision for myself has proved to be one of the most vital pieces of the manifestation process that I have kind of consciously become aware of. I realize now that I was doing it but it's only through human design that I've realized how much of an important piece of the manifestation puzzle it is and the reason for that is that it leads to what I call aura hygiene so to me that's the act of keeping your energy body open and ready to receive there are layers to this process of aura hygiene but boundaries can be applied and should be applied to each of these layers And that's part of what I would love for you to get really curious about in your life today, in your business today, in your manifestation process. Because I think in general, we are all super talented at saying yes to other people, saying yes to conforming, yes to making ourselves small and fit into molds made for someone else. We're good at saying yes to prioritizing other people's needs, wants, and expectations. But as controversial as this may sound, I truly believe the real secret to a highly successful manifestation process is learning to be super connected to what is important to you so you can get crystal clear on what is not important to you. When you know what is not important, Saying no to all of the other shit becomes so much easier. The more you say no, the more you systematically remove things from your energetic body, from your life, from your business, from your relationships that are not supporting you and thriving. Okay, so let's get into what how you can actually use this information today. If you're really keen to expedite your manifestation process, I'd love for you to ask yourself these questions. And if you have space to sit down grab a pen and paper and you know journal on this now great otherwise just listen ponder and maybe you can take a screenshot of where you're at in the podcast episode so you can fast forward to it um, later on and come back to it so the questions question one what do you really honestly want from your life that sounds basic but it's such a profound question and another Layer to that is how do you want to feel in your relationships, in your business, in your career, and in your friendships? What do you really want? Ooh, this is actually harder than it sounds. Uh, so I'm going to let you just sit on that, write it down, think about it. But this might sound grim, but I like to pretend when I am pondering this that I'm lying on my deathbed reflecting on my life. The reason for this is that I know that if I was going to die tomorrow, that would give me a whole new perspective on my life. That would give me a whole new perspective on what I actually gave a fuck about. I can tell you right now, it wouldn't be how many followers I have on Instagram. It wouldn't be how big a jet I learned to fly. It wouldn't be whether clay did the dishes or not, or vacuumed or any of those things that sometimes I get wound up about. No, none of those things would like, even cross my mind. I can tell you straight away with no hesitation the things for me. Maybe this will be helpful for you. Maybe it won't. Take it or leave it. But for me, the number one thing will always be having spent quality time with the people I love. Number two will be having adventures and making memories, living my life out in the world, being an active participant in the world, experiencing life with those same people, the people I love. Number three will be knowing that I've made any sort of positive impact on my community, animals, and the environment. And you might laugh, but I just love animals so much. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to adopt multiple fur babies. So (laughs) I know that that's going to be important to me. If I was to die tomorrow, I'd be so grateful that I've had the opportunity to be a fur baby mama. So yeah, ponder on that. What do you really, truly, honestly want from your life and value in your life? How do you want to feel in your relationships, in your business, in your career, and your friendships? Think about it. Don't rush this process because it's, it's important. So the reason that it's so important is because when you know what matters to you, you know what doesn't, just as I explained earlier. So while your list of what really matters to you is most likely actually going to be quite small, the list of things that don't matter to you is going to be almost endless. And that's fucking powerful because when it comes to saying no, it becomes so much easier when you know what actually matters and when you know what does not. Okay, the next question you might like to ask yourself, what actions are you taking every day that support you in living a life that is grounded in what is truly important to you? I think you'll actually be surprised how many things you are doing because I can guarantee most of the things that actually matter to you are not big, bold, dramatic statement things. They're not the sort of things that you want to post on Instagram and Facebook to get the likes, (laughs) but actually things like being fully present with your partner, your kids, or maybe your clients. They're things like reading books, studying things that interest you, playing music, being in nature. These things matter. They truly do matter. Don't undervalue them. They're a huge part of what helps you step into flow and create. So ask yourself, what things are you doing every single day that support you living a life that's grounded? And what is truly important to you based on your answer from question one as well? All right. Then the last question you might like to ask yourself is, what are you willing to say no to today that will create space for something better? Even if you don't know what that better will be there'll be something in your life that you know is not serving you right now it probably came to mind as soon as I said that you probably had a feeling in your body a thought in your mind that you know you've known for a while that it's not serving you can you say no to it look I know that's sometimes not as easy as I make it sound but even can you set the intention of trying to figure out a way to say no to it That's it. Those three questions. I would love, love, love for you to give yourself some time to indulge in, you know, really journaling on those. Maybe you needed to pause. Maybe you're going to come back to it later. That's totally fine. But I don't know about you guys, but not once have I ever been told that saying no would be one of the biggest keys to unlocking the most badass manifestation process ever. You might even still be skeptical because it seems really simple. And that's kind of the point. It's not supposed to be complicated. It's really not complicated. Manifestation is not complicated. It's so, so easy. It's really about you understanding deeply what's important to you and saying no to the shit that isn't. Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode because I am always open to hearing other perspectives and other insights and how things land. You know, I am not rigid in, in this, this idea, this theory, this process that I have. Um, so I'm totally open to hearing feedback. So feel free to slide into my DMs on Facebook or Instagram. I'll leave the link to both those in my show notes. What you can expect from the next four episodes of the six episode series is a journey through the manifestation stories of four incredible women, all who have been generous enough to share their wisdom and insights with us. I know you're going to love it. You're going to notice some similarities between the stories, but you're also going to notice a lot of differences. And remember, that is the whole point. Your process will not look the same because you're following what lights you up. You're following your own soul calling. And that is unique, right? So how could your manifestation process possibly look identical? How could it possibly be some cookie cutter method or format when you're a once in a lifetime being? It's just not possible. All right, team. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you found my best manifestation story ever interesting, illuminating, if nothing else, maybe a little bit funny. After you've heard all the stories from The Incredible Woman in the next four episodes, then I will be wrapping up the manifestation series with an episode specifically designed to support you in finding your unique process. We're going to start by answering the questions that I gave you today and start experimenting with and applying these, right? Start experimenting with saying no, and I promise you'll already be way ahead of the curve. As usual, team, if you like what you heard or you know someone that you think would love to hear this episode, why not share the podcast with them? You could subscribe or you could leave me a five-star review on Spotify or iTunes. Is that what they call it? Apple Podcasts. That's a really beautiful way for more people to find the podcast. And that is just so awesome. So really appreciate it. Until next week, team, take care of yourselves. Keep milking the shit out of life and I'll catch you in the next episode.